action. Yep, 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 yep. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes all I have is yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. That's the uh, um of rap songs, the yeah, uh-huh. It's the um, it's the filler, you know, like, 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 um, yeah, uh-huh, you know it, uh-huh, yeah, that's right, come on, uh-huh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Sometimes we're just, uh, we're just in the mood for fillers, you know, that's all I've got in my brain. I mean, a lot of rap stars do that. Yeah. Yeah. Some they made mil- some people made millions off of the year. The hype guys, the year. Uh huh. Yeah. You Little know. John. What? What? Okay. Okay. That's all he says and gets paid millions. Maybe we can start doing that. Maybe we. Yeah. Maybe we can. <laughs> Sound bites of yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> Good day, sir. Good day, sir. Good to see you again. <laughs> you as well, my friend. <laughs> How, how's it hanging? To the left. To the left. Everything I own is in the box on the left. Yes, I'm hanging to the left as well. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of information for all of you here on Beyond Words, but you're happy to be back. We know you are. You were curious about that information, so we had to yeah. tell you what was on the left. <laughs> That's right. Where by, we were hanging. By the box on your left, you mean your house? That Adobe box? Sure. Everything you own? Is in the box to my left. That's actually very accurate it is to my left we've swip- switched positions yes which nobody can tell but <laughs> yeah i guess you can't really hear it but yeah i have a whole different perspective i can see the the mountain behind the house and the big cristo viene sign christ the is coming eternally christ is coming this time they made it more permanent looking which tells me that he's always coming because if they really thought he was going to come they would make it so you can easily erase the Vienna. Right. Because you'd need to like change that. Yeah, está. Yeah, está. He's here. He's here. Yeah. I thought you were going to change it at one uh, point. You, well, don't tell anybody. That maybe uh, it's we won't be. tell anybody. It's a secret. <laughs> That's, yeah, that might be my uh, my little uh, um, prank. Can you imagine? My April Fool's prank? People would like lose their minds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe they'd collectively awake everybody. They'd already know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's here. Oh, yeah. He's been within us this whole time. Yeah. It's interesting. Yesterday, I went to, uh, I took a motorcycle trip towards Pizac, and behind Pizac towards San Salvador, there's a Senor de Huanco. Yeah, Have where people go to there? get their car blessed. Yeah. We actually went up there for the first time. It's very confusing to actually get up the hill. <clears throat> but there's a magic stone below christ and one of the like behind the church that's not it's not christian it's like pre-catholic pre-christian from the incan period there's the magic stone that they've hidden there and it's like you can go there to make wishes so like the people there's like the christian you know layer of knowledge and information that they have or the catholic i should say and they go there and they make their prayers to you know jesus and mother mary and all the saints and um and then there's the Incan knowledge, which oh. is this magic stone that came from somewhere. 
Right. And it's meant for making wishes. So people are praying to this magic stone without knowing they're praying to it. They're calling it another name. Right. So many of these like Christian Catholic shrines, at least around here, I think in a lot of Latin and South America, uh, they before they were Christian Catholic shrines to some saints or to Mother Mary, they were something else. And they just, they kind of hijacked the, the shrine and turned it into a, a Christian story. Well, because there's something to be said about that hot spot of power. Sure. There's a power spot there. And who knows if the Incas didn't cover it up with their own story, but there was, maybe there was something predating older. that. Yeah. Yeah, all the cars here, if you go in a taxi here in the Sacred Valley of Peru, um, most of the taxis and the colectivos, or like the little minivan, public transport, they all have the Señor de Huanca, like little shrine in, on the dashboard. And because, we, and most people, locals who own cars, uh, cars as well have it. And basically you buy a car and you take it up there and you pay a priest a few soles to uh, bless the car, right? And it's supposed to protect you from accidents and anything bad happening. So it's a big deal here. Going up there, I realized how well it works. So the road up there is super precarious. You have no idea which one is a run- one-way road, and you have to find the way up. And so you have cars flying down this road at full speed on a one-lane road. With already blessed. <laughs> With already blessed. So they vehicles. don't care. They don't just... care. <laughs> They're safe coming down. <laughs> but the way up is so precarious, you have to make sure you actually huh. make it there. You have to earn it. Well, interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's... Um, speaking of the Cristo, ya está, is already here. I've been... I found on YouTube this... It's like a seven-hour video of... Uh, it's like an audio book or reading of this... Of the... It's like a Saint Germain. So Saint Germain is like a saint. I'm trying to look at my phone to see um, the name of this video. But Saint Germain was was a saint at some point. I think this is like a channeled teaching from St. Germain about, uh, basically about uh, the nature of consciousness and how to, um, it's kind of like old school manifestation stuff. It's fascinating. I downloaded the video to save it, have it offline. Um, it's called the I Am Discourse, St. Germain. It's a seven hour and 45 minute video. And, um, Basically, the whole concept is like the statement I am, that is the foundation of the creative force of God within each person. And every time you say I am, you're, you're putting that force into action or you think I am. Every time you think I am not, you're stopping that force. So I'm not good enough. I'm not able to do this. I'm not worthy. Uh, if you mean it, then you're, you're using that force against yourself. So it's all about, you know, affirmations, like, and having really powerful affirmations that you really feel and you mean it. And that's this whole, like seven, it's seven hours and 45 minutes of this talk, this download, this channeling about this. And it's really powerful. It's one of those things that like when I first listened to it, it's just like every part of me is like, yes, this is so true. Yes, yes, yes. So I was, uh, like, I'm. T- my plan has been to, like, do an experiment where I only listen to that and just, like, really put it into practice. And just doing it, it got me, like, watching my thoughts, you know? Like, what's, you know, what am I, what am I thinking? Because you're thinking according to this kind of uh, uh, 
philosophy of life, your, your thoughts generate your reality. It all stems from there. And so it's like being really careful about what you're thinking and being really aware of your thoughts and putting this into action and practice of like, I am, I am abundant. I am loved. I am, you know, really watching your thoughts. And when those negative ones come in, uh, reversing them, like turning them around. So, so is the premise that if you're saying I am not, you're like using the force of God against you. Yeah, you're, you're exactly because that force, the force doesn't care how you use it. So it's really because you are the, the idea is that you are the force. If, if you choose, it's like, uh, God is within, right? And so you are the determinant of your life through your thoughts. And yeah, it just got me thinking a lot about it because so many of us, including myself at periods, you know, I've been, I haven't watched my thoughts and I've really thought negatively about myself or about my life or about others. And, um, it, 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 and it, it has a very pronounced impact, you know, we think that I've always tended to think, uh, or at least previously that my thoughts were the result of my reality. Like reality happens and I think about it, but the idea is actually, no, you think about it and then reality happens. So, uh, the mind is, uh, it all starts with the mind and the word and, uh, the word that you tell yourself, that's your creation. So you're creating everything. In the beginning was the word. Yeah. And the word was God. Word is bond. Word is bond, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wu-Tang knew. Yeah, th- totally. Wu-Tang definitely knows. I mean, uh, it's we talked about the YouTube video, Rich Atlanta, those guys last time. And uh, I mean, they're, they're using that kind of stuff all about the secret is a modern take on all of this, right? Manifestation stuff. But I don't think it goes deep enough to really... And it's all just about getting rich, you know, and um, which is fine and great. Uh, but it, I, I think for it to really work, it has to be deeper in terms of like, you don't just say these affirmations, but you have to feel them and you have to, as if they're already true. So you have to like really embody it as if it's already now. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, but this, these, I have so many questions around manifestation mm-hmm. and not questions that I don't know. The thing is, is like, why does manifestation work? And that's my biggest foundational question. So if you have that much control over reality, like if you have that much power, what does that really mean? If you have the power to create whatever you really want from your life, what does that actually mean for us as human beings? What does that mean for how society is run? What does that mean for our daily lives, like how we limit ourselves into believing we only deserve a certain amount. Like our lives are literally the result of the information that we're putting into our minds or the, the thought patterns that we're creating. And this is interesting. This actually leads into that quote from Terrence McKenna. I'm going to share a little quote. Yeah, do it. Cause I think this, wow, that was a perfect segue. Nice. That was totally, <laughs> it works out. <laughs> it worked itself out. Let's see. The all-powerful Terrence McKenna. Here he is. Everything is code. Everything is code in the sense that hackers mean when they say they write code. This realization that everything is code and code moving on many levels 
is more primary than the perception, for example, that things are made of space, time, matter, and energy. That's one level below code. The code codes for space, time, matter, and energy. It's much more like we're in a, a simulacrum, some kind of machine environment. And in fact, I like that idea because I've always sensed that the universe is a puzzle. Life is a, is a problem to be solved. It's a conundrum. It's not what it appears to be. It, there, is a, there are doors. There are locks and keys. There are levels. Uh, and if you, if you get it right, somehow it will give way to something extremely unexpected. So this is like a reoccurring... That's Terrence McKenna, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is a reoccurring thing that I've noticed a lot of people experience within a psychedelic realm. Like really large doses of psychedelics where you kind of see reality dissolve and you start to see kind of the inner workings. <clears throat> One of the, uh, the bigger inner workings that a lot of people see is the flower of life symbol or like this dissolution into this kind of field of a, the flower of life or so forth and so on. And the interesting thing is this has been in the culture of the Shu people for thousands of years. And they have it on their telas and they have it everywhere. This the Shipibo being it's for those who don't know Shipibos. Oh, Shipibo, the tribes of the the Ukayali here in Peru. In the Amazon. In the Amazon. One of the larger tribes of uh South America. But their a lot of their artwork have the flower of life in this centerpiece. And you know, I was curious, I asked him, like, well, what is this, you know, why does this relate to, how does this relate to now? And I'm like, well, this is an older symbol. This is older than our current generation. This is something that's been passed down. This is something we see in the ayahuasca field or in the ayahuasca journey. And literally the, the flower of life, if you research about the flower of life, it's the field of energy that exists around us, the code or the matrix that is the reality, you know. And I've seen it. I've seen, I've had experiences of witnessing. I don't know if you've ever seen the flower of life or something similar. Yeah. Um, and then with the, my experience with the boga, I think I've talked about it before, but it was like one, and I mean all of them into a degree. It, I didn't see the flower of life, but I, I saw and understood. It just seemed like our everything reality and is, Reality is like a program, a programmable program, and the brain that interprets it and that creates it is like a computer. And I was really seeing that, and I was seeing all the. It was almost like re it was rewiring my computer from everything that's happened in my life and all the little block blockages and like and it was crazy, fascinating. Um, yeah, so that's like that's the matrix, right? It, but then tying that back into the question of manifestation, like yeah. what is manifestation or like, how does this actually work? Well, like you said, it's utilizing the area in the being that's making the program, the thought processes, like you're constantly rewriting and writing your program every single day. And some of our older programs run like, you know, I'm a five foot, whatever guy from North America. That's my one program. I had this one program. It's a really basic program. Yeah, really basic, but it's there. You know, it's like this imp 
ah, this solid thing. But to, how is that even true? You know, I make it true. Isn't that what you, part of your work in ceremony, we're holding ceremony and part of the, in, or isn't that what an ikaro is? It's programming the, it's a program. It's, it's programming the program or deprogramming it or reprogramming it through your intention. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, <clears throat> it's like utilizing <clears throat> intention doubled by the force of nature, which is like a plant. So, uh, I have my very basic human intention, which is, has, it has its own power. <clears throat> and then I multiply that with the power of this tree here, the tree of eucalyptus. And the tree of eucalyptus has been around for billions of years, and it has a certain amount of strength and knowledge. And so that tree creates a filter over the being so I can see where there are incongruencies in the pattern of their mind as far as their thought patterns, their thinking, their uh, traumas, which create huge indentations in their mental field, and then starting to clean those out with the aid of the individual who's participating. And their willingness. And their willingness. What do you mean by it creates a filter? For you to see, or for you to... It's like putting on the glasses of different plants, so like... So you're seeing, like, through the consciousness of the plant. Right. And the plant, in its a- age and wisdom, it's able to see these things clearly. It's vastly more intelligent than I am. And so utilizing the intelligence or the wisdom of that, that knowledge of that plant to see what... Because uh, if, if I were to use my filter of my Felix consciousness, it's very limited in right. its understanding and its knowledge. But the, f- the field of lavender, for example, is vastly more intelligent in its cleaning abilities and its capabilities to do a, sp- a certain task. So, like, I have the program, or sorry, uh, yeah, I have the program of lavender and the program of rose and the program of, you know, X, Y, and Z plants. And those programs can come in to be run <clears throat> simultaneously with the program of ayahuasca, which is a filter of vision, of seeing, of opening doors. And so in opening the doors of the mind, we start to see how the individual lives their life. And that is the only framework we look at that as is the mind of that individual. So the mind of that individual has created issues with money. The mind of the individual has created issues with relationships. Um, There are unconscious and conscious hangups that sit in between them and actually experiencing reality as it is. Mm -hmm. And so this is... The biggest challenge is like convincing the person that they want to live a happy life. <laughs> right. And, but generally if someone comes to you, that's, they're, they're already, I mean, that's what they're looking for, right? There, there's like different layers of agreement. So a person can say, yeah, I want to try ayahuasca. I want to try curiosity. I have this curiosity layer and they'll, they'll get within a certain bandwidth of understanding within this layer of this infinite field of ayahuasca. And then there's, you know, I'm here and I know there's things that I need to learn. But once I face them and I see them and they scare me, I don't want to do that anymore. And then they stop. Right. Whether they're conscious of that intention or not. And nine times out of 10, they're not. And so with your own work, so like when you diet a plant, for the sake of your work, it's like you're dieting it so you can receive that lens through which to perceive. And when you, when I'm so curious, it's, it's so cool to talk to someone who speaks my language about it, you know, like, cause you have this bridge between that knowledge and, and our way of seeing like quote unquote Western way, you know? And so 
when you when you're working with someone in a ceremony like are you wearing all the lenses at once or do you choose are you do you, are you like okay um, put on the lavender lens now put on the rose lens or are they all there together always or is it like one comes forward through your own will or the plant presents itself and that that's the lens you see through in that moment uh, that's a good question i think <clears throat> the most important thing in sitting in front of somebody to like work with them is to dissolve my own mental anything narrative narrative ideas yeah and as soon as i do that and working in any ceremony it's allowing that intelligence to work more so it's like i don't really have to like think i need to call this plant right it's like the plant tells me to call it right and then it's like okay i'll call you and then you know what i mean and is that something that as you've gotten more experience over the years that was it harder in the beginning to get out of your own way? It was, it felt impossible at times. You decided to like, you kind of had to just grind through it. Well, I think in any person who's holding a ceremony of some sort, there's an idea of performance or making sure the person has a good experience or being worried about their experience. Your own stuff comes in it's and wanting to please own, them. Yeah. It's my own crap. It's all, all my own garbage. Yeah. And so like, I guess initially it was just like, and, and when I, is what I, is it what I'm offering? Is that coming through me? Or is it what I'm offering coming through the plants? Right. And then learning that what I'm offering for me as an individual is very limited compared to what I'm offering as a, you know, the plants. Right. So, wow. So as you progress in your work, it's just like more and more, less and less about Felix and just more and more about being a space for the plants to work through you. Felix isn't there. Even. Yeah. I should be at a place where, and I'm not every single ceremony. That's, right. That's the challenge, right? Like, cause you're, there's still the human Felix. There's still human. Fe- I got to have some kind of ego to live in this world and exist. And, sure. Um, do you have a practice before the ceremony or when it starts to like put that aside? Like, do you med- do you have a meditation? I mean, you don't, or whatever you're comfortable revealing, but like, is there something you do or is it simply just drinking the medicine? It helps. It just does it for you. I mean, initially when I first started, before every ceremony, I'd go out and listen to, like, Tupac. Because, like, Tupac was just, like, getting into a mindset of, like, you're hard and driven. Interesting. <laughs> it was, like, almost like the flow state of, like, rapping always was, yeah. like, okay, yeah, like, just let go. Let this, fl- like, flow out of me. And now it's, like, I don't think about it as much. Yeah. Like, the more pressure I put on the going into ceremony, the more I'm pressured in ceremony. Yeah. So it's, like, I just kind of live my life and then just go into ceremony and do what I need to do. Interesting. It was there any particular Tupac song or all eyes on me? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it might be that one. <laughs> I bet eyes. you got a twister. You don't know who to trust. trust somebody play hate trying to sound like, like us. <laughs> <laughs> I got keys coming from overseas. <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to Biggie Smalls. Y- yeah. No, because of, that makes me think of Biggie Smalls. <laughs> yeah, but that's the same song, no? Uh, it's when that other guy comes in. Oh, yeah, side, yeah. Uh, One of the rappers, he comes in. I think it's on All Eyes on Me. And his verse is like, I got keys coming from overseas, costing me 200 Gs. I'm a street commander. <laughs> different song. <laughs> oh, a different song. <laughs> yeah. So that's um, um, Picture Perfect. I painted Perfect Picture. Yeah. 
Picture perfect. Yeah, I'm picture me picture rolling. Per- yeah, it's picture yeah, yeah. me rolling. I love that one. I love that intro. Oh god, I love hip hop, and I love that's like, you know, we kind of talked about, you know, the state, these states we go into of like, these heavier states, and I think a lot in these spiritual communities, we want everything. We sh- we feel like we should always be face up, like I should always be happy. I should always have a positive attitude. I should always have good thoughts. Like we know these things. But we still go into these places of like, man, everything sucks. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I I shared a little before we recorded. But another segue, because uh, today's Monday, and yesterday, a little bit Saturday, but really yesterday, I, I was like in a dep- I was depressed. It was just like this old thing that came up again, and it's come up with less and less frequency over the years that that I've started working with plants and diets. And now it's like really rare and it comes up less often and for less time. Like before ayahuasca, before plants, before diets, it would come up like multiple times a month and it would last for a week or weeks. And and it came up again yesterday and I was just really like just looking at it and feeling into the state, like a little bit more able to observe it rather than just fully be uh, taken by it. But it's like... I couldn't see any sort of trigger for it. It was just like, I just, for whatever reason, I woke up that morning in a different, in this different, totally different state of mind where everything is just heavy and kind of blah, nothing excites me. And, and I don't have any energy and I'm tired and, and yeah. And it was weird because I, I exercised the previous day. I had a jujitsu class yesterday. I ate well but you know actually now when i say i ate well the past few days i had a bunch of uh we had a birthday party for me a few weeks ago and i had a bunch of like sweet stuff left over right and i've been slowly eating it it's like i have a kind of a an impulsive addictive personality when it comes to really anything if i if i have it i'll just eat it or use it (laughs) now now it's not drugs or anything it's more like like food and if I have a bunch of brownies in my house, after dark, like after dinner, the the monster awakens and I'll just like eat a bunch of them, even though I know I'm not going to sleep well and I'm going to like, so that actually might have been what kind of led to it because for the previous few nights, I had these like little binges of sh- pure sugar, right? And then I didn't sleep well and it, so that could actually have contributed to it. Um, even though it didn't the previous days, maybe it just added up. But anyway, yeah, the depressive state, it's like just slipping into this altered consciousness where everything is heavy, nothing is nice, and the beautiful things that normally get me excited and like this land and everything is just bland and blah, and I'm just like, man, I'm miserable to be around. And um, So, yeah, and then this morning... Last so I stopped eating the sweets last night. I slept well, and this morning I woke up like back to my state of like where I feel happy about beautiful things. So yeah, but anyway, I was just like kind of uh, now in retrospect, like looking back on it, it's like I slip into a different consciousness, and um, I used to slip into that a lot, and it was so debilitating. I would like not answer calls from friends. I would sometimes call in for to work, like make up something, because like even though de- 
depression is a totally valid excuse, I think. But yeah, I'm just curious from your perspective too, from what you see in ceremonies or working with people who go through that, like what you perceive it as. And um, yeah, just wondering if you've experienced it yourself too. And uh, and what your if your views on it have shifted over the years since you've had these plants and been able to perceive through these filters that they've offered you, these lenses. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, I think there's such a large push right now for spirituality, and spirituality has these ideas of like... <clears throat> having the perfect mind of thinking good thoughts constantly. We even talked about it in the very beginning parts of this podcast, this episode. But I don't think that's human. And I don't think that's, like, natural. You know, like, if we look at nature and how nature has its cycles of summer, uh, fall, winter, spring, so forth and so on, like, it's got to... We have to have the darker periods. We kind of talked about how, before the podcast, like the necessity of struggle or the necessity of darkness at, or heaviness at, at some point, like it actually creates a really valuable energy in us and not saying like be evil and like scary and send bad energy at people. But, um, you know, one thing we mentioned before the podcast too, is like this, this time in my life <clears throat> when I was with my ex partner and it wasn't the greatest relationship, you know, it was my first love and I was so creative. Like, I was quite depressed, but I was very creative. Like, there was a lot of art coming out. I was painting all the time. I was writing all the time. I was reading tons of books. I was really excited about learning. <clears throat> and I've been questioning now, in this state that I'm in now, where I feel pretty balanced emotionally, mentally, physically, um, I feel quite abundant. But I don't have that creative element as strong. Like, I feel like it's so cushy that I haven't had that. And with recent events that have happened, I've kind of gone back into a <clears throat> a darker state, <clears throat> excuse me, mentally. And we'll maybe talk about this on a different episode. But uh, because of that, it's invigorated this new energy inside of me, this positive uh, negrega, as they call it in uh, alchemy this death energy, which brings the rebirth. And I think <clears throat> as I go on more and more, and as I work with more and more people, people come down with this expectation of this is the magic pill that will remove depression, anxiety, so forth and so on. It'll do a great job at making it more manageable or more comprehensible, but it's not going to remove it. Life will naturally pull you back into its its grips of, of feel. Uh, experiencing highs and lows and so what I really value and what you shared is like one you didn't sure you fell into it you were in that state but you were conscious the whole time you were through that state and I think that's very different than being unconsciously depressed where you're either going to self-harming or you know you're really self-deprecating where you're destroying yourself mentally <clears throat> emotionally and I think it's a necessary, like, I think the more we demonize it, the more it becomes this bad aspect of life. It becomes a demon, right? It becomes this shadow. But the more we embrace it as, like, this great period of actually, like, reevaluating or recreating or allowing things to die, 
I think it becomes a natural, healthy cycle in the human psyche. And so, like, in some cases, <clears throat> when we see things energetically in people, we don't remove them. Like, it may seem like it's a completely bad thing, and we'll clean it, but we won't remove it because it has a beneficial aspect. And so the longer we diet and do these things, like, the more I'm actually, I try to embrace these heavier periods or these periods of, that are more shadowy because I'm finding more and more gold in there than like dark things. But it, it's, it's the thing of going into it consciously. <clears throat> I, if that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one thing that I believe plants have given me and offered me is that space where I can observe it a bit more. Cause I was able to observe it yesterday, even though I was in it, it's almost like, um, I think it's plants. It, it's, it's a, co a combination of plants, diets, and also just life experience. I think as we get older, the more you go through something and come out the other side, the more there's that little reminder of like, you'll get through this, you'll come out the other side like this. You've been through this before because in the moment it can really seem like it, it's so, it can be so all encompassing and so consuming that it, it feels, um, like it's everything and it's forever. And, um, so, it's a really interesting point that you bring up is like it's it, it it's also a gift if we choose for it to be in that a lot of creativity can come from that um and you know with the affirmation so like this practice that i mentioned at the beginning of the podcast ironically interestingly i i started doing it like started listening to that video a day or two before yesterday so yesterday of course a thought came in of like well that didn't work you know because look i'm depressed and but I also think there's you know depending on how we practice this kind of thing with affirmations uh, and how how much we truly deeply believe it with every fiber of our being uh, it, it, there can be a delayed response the delayed effects so I also think keeping these practices while in the state of depression which is the hardest part because the my inclination in those moments like yesterday is to just lay down and and feel miserable about myself but to keep the practice because even yesterday when negative thoughts would come up i would still reverse them even though i didn't really like i didn't believe it in some way i was still just like my mind said i'm i'm no good or whatever it said i would think choose to think the thought i am i am happy i'm free i am you know all the things that i didn't feel like i was so maybe that also played a role of like helping me to come out of it. I still went to my jujitsu practice. I still did all these things that I didn't enjoy doing, but I did them. Things that normally really get me happy and or make me feel good. So I, I think there's also a part of being proactive in those states and not from a place of like, I want to chase away this feeling, but rather uh, let the feeling be fuel for me in my practice, you know, because it's like, I prayed yesterday more than I typically do, or I uh, just really intentionally had practices, even though I didn't feel good. So I think that was that's been the biggest shift for me f over the past eight years or so is not letting those states uh, take the steering wheel of my what I choose to do with my time. So. But I had the same experience in my 20s, too, when I would get depressed a lot. I also was very creative in that those times, like you said, and I, I would write a lot. And uh, it was definitely a fuel in a way 
And like I said before we recorded, uh, Joe Rogan talks about this. Uh, all of him and all of his the best comedians he knows, they all had like pretty messed up childhoods, and that's the fuel for their for their art. Because if you have a a really perfect childhood in terms of like being well cared for and you don't experience any major traumas um it can be hard to be funny to have to have that kind of humor that i think you can still be funny but people are drawn to humor that they can relate to and a lot of people have had really hard childhoods and so they love that kind of humor that comes from that because it speaks to them so well, people uh, relate more to each other's pain <clears throat> than to each other's joys Mm-hmm. Like there's a deeper bond with people who have been through more painful things together yeah. than there is with people who have been through like joyful things together. Exactly. And and I think a lot of people, it's medicine for them to hear someone tell a story that's more painful than their own story because then they're like, oh, okay, well, this, you know, if he could get through that, then what I've been through is okay. So there's also that kind of, uh, yeah, it's a form of healing, I guess. It's just like knowing that you, others are suffering in their own way too. And when they can talk about it openly, it brings a little bit of light to our situation. So, yeah. But I think that's the challenge. And <clears throat> is again, we I want to look towards nature, towards the, the evidence where we should be in one state consistently and Nowhere in nature is one thing in one state consistently. Maybe the sky, but then you have clouds that come in. You know, I, I yeah, I was thinking about the moon. So in Kemetic uh, traditions or old Egyptian traditions, <clears throat> they would talk about like the astrology in those times was based on, you know, the same astrology we have now. But they would say, instead of Mercury being the mind, they would say that the moon is the mind. And that that little key for me has always <clears throat> opened so many doors in my own mental states of understanding how my mind moves. If the, the moon is constantly changing and shifting and showing its it different faces, different phases of light, then how is my mind going to be a full moon all the time? Or a new moon all the time. Like I can't always have a certain state of mind. So I find like I want to interact with, like sometimes I will consciously go into darker states mentally, intentionally, like in a controlled environment, like we talked about controlled initiations to withdraw something from that, like a sensation, a motivation, uh, an ideology or an old memory that had given me motivation before is like returning to those states consciously to bring forth whatever I need in this current state. And I think the more that I do that naturally and consciously, the more I'm able to create what I desire. Yeah, makes it's there's nature around us has all the symbols of our internal experience, right? So like the moon is perfect example of the mind and, you know, the new moon, when the moon is at its darkest, <laughs> that's the best time to plant seeds in the earth, right? Because that's all the energy is in the earth. And then uh, this is my understanding of it. And, and then the full moon, it's all out. So you want to plant the seeds at the new moon when everything is like in the earth, in the dark, in the dirt. And so new moon, dark moon, dark state, 
depression, like that's where a lot of seeds can be planted in terms of how we blossom again as the moon or as our conscious state begins to wax again. Because in our depressed states, <clears throat> are we more focused inwards or outwards? Like the moon. Yeah, inwards. I mean, I'm completely locked inwards, yeah. For sure. Like I, Yeah, in my l- most recent state, I was just, I could barely interact with people. Yeah, you don't even know what's going on out there. Interesting. The other thing <clears throat> made me think of is like, we haven't had so many psychological disorders in history until now. And I think that's because we put a name on every state of emotion that the human goes through. Right. And like, what if it wasn't depression? What if it had the sensation of depression, but it wasn't like, because we've been told that's what depression looks like, we call it depression, which is a negative connotation around something that could be really positive. Right. But then what about, so there is that natural cycle, but I also feel there are some, some aspects of depression that we bring on ourselves through what we eat, how little we exercise, what we consume in terms of media. So, but then that's like planting. What what seeds are you planting? Right. What are you going to yield? Right. Yeah, we're often choosing uh, seeds that don't grow, or yeah, what are those seeds? Because back to those, you know, affirmations and the, this. St. Germain thing that I have been listening to. I just had a realization when listening to it too, and it goes back to things we've talked about, I think on the last episode and previous episodes about media and the stories that we're exposed to in media and the way everything is spun is just like the negative, negative stuff. And um, it's like, if we, we keep watching that and, and our affirmations are affected by that and the way we think, and it's almost like we keep, you know, consuming that kind of negative media and that affects how we think about the world and ourselves. And so we bring about that reality. And the world, you know, you look at the world, a lot of people look at the world and say it's in disarray and it's a, you know, it's a terrible place and there's just so much pain and violence and hatred. And it's like, all of that comes from the collective consciousness, like every individual's consciousness combined, and if it's an overall in a negative state of self-hatred, that just blossoms in the world around, you know. But but in this world, you can have two people that are neighbors living on the surface what appear to be very similar lives, but their state of experience is completely different, whereas one is grateful and happy and loving life and, and good things come to them, and the other person... Uh, born with the same set of circumstances is and is depressed and unhappy and it seems like they are always unlucky and they get into accidents and and you know tragedy strikes them you know so yeah so uh i think it's really the healing of the world lies in the hands of every individual and and how they choose to program themselves <laughs> fuck yeah yeah Absolutely. And how we choose to view our challenges. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about the victim mentality of like viewing our challenges as woe is me. Everything sucks. I'm it a only. victim of the outside world. Totally. Versus 
I am a victim of my own choices. And I, I think we've spoken about this, like uh, the story of the hero and the villain. I don't know if I've ever shared the story with you. I don't know. You guys have probably heard the story if you're constant listeners. But the hero and the villain have the same backstory. A hero and a villain are so similar, it's, it's scary. The villain had terrible things happen to them in their past. And they say, I want the world to suffer for what it's done to me. I'm going to make everyone suffer. The hero says, I've had terrible things happen to me. How can I help the world so none of this happens to anyone else? Like, they're the same story. They both had terrible, terrible pasts. But one just decided that they want to help people to not feel the same things they felt. Wow, that's so true. And there's, I'm trying to think, like, even um, like the Star Wars story, right? Uh, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader, I mean, I'm trying to think of the details of their story, but it's the same story, but one went down the dark side, the villain, and he chose that path, and the other went for the hero's journey. Uh, that's fascinating. It's true. So it all it's all just an internal choice. But here's the kicker is heroes need villains, right? Villains need heroes. We need we need the dark and we need the light. Like these tattoos, I have tattoos on my wrists here, the yin and yang, the Tao. <clears throat> and I had a very surface level understanding of this when I was 18 and got these on my wrist. But as I like... I see more and more the necessity or how nature works. Like we were talking about fertilizer. What, what do plants need? They need other dead things to feed them, to help them grow. Well, how do humans work? Well, we consume things to help us to grow. We eat chickens and beef and old dead plants and so forth and so on. Like we're eating material to create something. So death and life, they're, so intertwined and yet we try to remove them and separate ourselves further and further away from us our happiness and our depression are so similar that we try to remove them and demonize one and make the other one the god that we keep removing it from itself and it just turns the other one into depression and the other one back into joy right so the more we become attached to the happiness the more the shadow the other side of it which is the darkness or depression that's just growing in the background waiting because the Tao, the Taoist way is to be in the middle right you gotta be right in the middle but that's embracing both right it's embracing both it's not being attached to either exactly because so many of us I was in my past unconsciously attached to to the dark the depression uh, that was my identity was formed around it in a way but look at what it blossomed you right. got into plant medicine. You got into good things that are started to benefit you. Right. Without that, you wouldn't be here. You'd be like, man, I'm living a great life. I'm, you know. And even on my plant medicine journey, and I see this with others too, I became attached to the positive outcome and thinking that, and then when depression came back, I was like, well, what was it all for? I fucked up. I messed up. It yeah. doesn't work. It doesn't work. What the plants are really teaching is the Taoist way of like, it's, they're so wise. Like in, in some ways it's like, I'll relieve you of your depression right now. But then the next step of the journey is like learning to see it for what it is. And as a blessing, 
and as a starting point for a rebirth. But that's the challenge is like we all come to psychedelics and we want these, <clears throat> I want to experience death and I want to know what death is going to be like. And we go for these huge, huge things and we're like, oh wow, death is actually really close to life. But then happiness and depression, I need to actually work on myself and like I need to live a better life, so forth and so on. And that means completely abolishing any negative emotion whatsoever. Well, that's not life. Like, that's not death either. Like, you need that natural. Like, we should have life and death right within themselves, constantly within our lives. If we don't, then we're out of balance. And we're trying to live just a happy, perfect life. Like, the people who, right. I don't know if you've seen the people who are like, I'm always happy. I'm just a happy person. Everything's okay. Everything's great. But under the surface, you can see this thing building inside of them, this big you can, shadow. You can, yeah. And people want to avoid There's a tension that. in them. For sure. They have like, we call it clown face where it's like this like That's kind of smiling. the American culture, right? Oh. How you doing? Fine. I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. And, but underneath it, there's like a repressed, like it's, it's not okay to be depressed. But there's a huge like financial gain from depression. There's a huge gain from like all these um, pharmaceutical drugs to make you feel one way all the time. That's like the biggest game that they're playing. They want you to feel one way all and the time. And they don't work very well. They don't. One thing no one talks about with all these mass shootings, all those guys are on anti they're on some kind of pharmaceutical. It's like it man, I used to I used to be on those and if you put the a person if you put a person with violent tendencies on those drugs, what it can do is maybe uh, it, what it can do is numb their their biological program to not commit violence. It can numb that so that program no longer works and then they're violent without, if, in terms of an sociopath, right? They no longer feel the empathy that they would have felt without those drugs. But it's just like pulled, putting a boulder on top of a volcano. Interesting. That's an interesting analogy. But in retrospect and with other people... I think they're useful for time. They're, for a lot of people, uh, I think they can be like an emergency help, but they don't address the, the problem. And they're overprescribed to people who shouldn't be taking them. It messes people up. I've seen it, I've seen it with people I've worked with too. You know that are on certain things, and you can just you can just tell. I mean, you can tell how they are and the things they say and the way that they see themselves in the world. It's like, man, that that thing you're taking it removed a filter it removed like a it removes a lot of feeling that are important there's a movie a great movie called equilibrium i don't know if you've ever seen this movie no it's got christian bale in it it's oh, a great movie. he's awesome oh it's such a good movie and in this this perfect utopian society they take an injection every time a bell rings and every time they take the injection, all it does is remove any kind of emotion. All emotions. All emotions have been removed completely. Joy, happiness, sadness, all of it. So they're all kind of this mellow whatever. But they've also removed from society any kind of object that creates emotion. So art, music, um, perfumes, like beautiful things. They've removed from society because they start to stir those inner emotions. And... I don't want to give too much of the plot away because I want a lot of people to watch this. It's a great movie. Uh, it's an action movie as well, so there's a lot of you know shooting and kung fu and cool stuff. But 
it's his kid or sorry it's him christian bale who meets this woman and this woman has a ribbon that has perfume on it and every time he feel he smells the perfume he starts to get this tickling of a sensation and it makes him curious so he skips one of his doses one day he drops it on the ground and crushes it and then he starts to feel and you see him starting to remember natural emotions sadness joy all these things and he starts to have these expressions of these emotions which are the dangerous things in the society expressions of emotion and that's when he starts to wake up and this powerful figure who was a, a like a police officer like i'd call him like a fbi agent of the society came from the inside out of like breaking through it back into emotions to free humanity from these emotion blockers wow it's kind of like the matrix like using a analogy of a pharmaceutical a pill that you don't take or don't take so what if our experience of life is like as humanity we're every day we're taking that injection in the form of the media we consume which is the story that we're consuming about what our life is and what our world is what if that is what's shutting us off to our true potential and true power of our mind to create our life and you know we're just subjecting ourselves to programming that blocks us from from all of that and that's the injection but even like i don't want to just say media like even a lot of new age spiritual teachers and old and, and old spiritual teachers mm. want the world arranged upside right side up like christianity you know but like from my experience my personal experience in christian religion is this shadow that existed below the surface in Christian religion of all this backbiting and all this darkness that was there. It was never brought to the surface because that's not what a good, good Christian does. Pedophilia too. A lot of pedophilia. I mean, look at the Catholic Church. God. I mean, uh, we talked about this before, but I think one of the single greatest uh, tragedies in the human program is the Christian Catholic story that's not what it's not true that we're sinners right and that we're guilty jeez you walk around with that all day no wonder like it's just so dark and sad <laughs> or you know other big religions too i mean uh i don't know much about islam and I, there's some beautiful aspects to it when i just witness how they practice in their prayer and the washing their hands and but at the same time, there's just an aspect of like, of I'm not worthy, or I'm, it's a very humble thing. So I, as a human, am not worthy. And it's like externalizing again, externalizing God, that we're something else than that, and we're not worthy of it. At least that's my interpretation. I could be totally misinterpreting it, but that's just the way I perceive it in terms of how the religion, the, the practices, the ritual, the bowing, um, there's beauty to that too. I think there's beauty in humility, but if it's a humility that's saying that I am not like God is not within me, that I'm not worthy, like 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 that statement, I am not right, is um, incredibly it's disempowering, and that's the whole intention behind it, right? So, and even people who aren't religious now, it's like those those doctrines are so embedded in our cultures that even when we say we're not religious or we're atheists, 
we're walking around with a lot of I am nots <laughs> running through the mind, right? And uh, even atheism, if there's no God, then I'm not God. I'm nothing. I'm, you know. I'm a random chance. I'm a random chance. Everything is random. I'm, I am a series of, you know, neurons firing and I'm, there's no free will and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I don't I think it's, I think all of these things contribute to the state of the world. People think the state of the world is outside them. It's, you know, it's Russia and Ukraine fighting each other and causing food short. No, it's, it's all of us. It's our, the things we choose to believe about ourselves that we externalize on the world around us. And if everybody, if the whole world woke up tomorrow and for a week only said, I am powerful, I am God, I am loved. I think that every, all this shit would end, you know? Like, well, you can't be controlled if you have confidence. Exactly. If you have confidence and if you know who you really are, or if you think, if, if you think who you really are, But, uh, you know, <clears throat> these ideas of God are what turn people away from God. And, like, I hope... The punishing in, God. The, yeah, this man on a throne. Man on a throne who's vindictive and... Like, who is this, who is this man? It's interesting because if you read the Bible, and I have read the Bible many times... Have you di- Did you die at the Bible? No. It's an interesting journey. I might, but there's a lot of darkness in the Bible, too. Gotta take the darkness with the light, man. Yeah, man. This... Oh. The <laughs> um, the God in the Bible, if you read the Bible, the God in the Bible is a very vengeful, very jealous God. He's like, the Old Testament. yeah, in the Old Testament especially. He's like, sounds like some king wrote the Bible and said he was God. And he's like, I don't want people to do this. This is bad. Brr. I'm going to say do this then. Here's a plague and pestilence and blah, frogs everywhere. And it's like... <sighs> The experiences I've had personally with the divine, whatever that may be, had none of that. It was such a blank slate of compassion and caring love that there, like, it was more the pure expression of myself that was loved than me having an ideology that pushed that divine into a box. So the more I tried to create an image for God, the more I realized the image of God was the image of man at his superior state. If you read the Bible, though, as a metaphor for the mind, then, and I haven't done that much, but my understanding, even the Old Testament, if you don't take it literally, right, but it's a metaphor for the mind, basically saying that, like, if you sin, where if sin is as a metaphor for th- for feeding your mind negative thoughts and following those negative thoughts, then you bring hell upon yourself. And so the Old Testament, if you use it as metaphor, that vengeful, spiteful God is your own mind. And the pestilence and the frogs are the destruction you bring upon yourself by not using your mind correctly. Now, why don't they teach that in church? You got to go on YouTube for that. <laughs> <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> or my teacher, Ernesto, he would talk about that a lot. You know, he, I don't know if he said it in exactly those words, but to me, at least the way I understood who, the way you talk about it is like, you know, he's, he's a maestro and a tabaquero and, and, and his prayer every time opening before serving medicine, um, 
uh, involves Jesus Cristo, and then he he says some prayer in some language I don't understand, and then um, finishes with Amen. And I've talked to him like I was like, "Do you go to church?" He's like, "No, you don't need to go to church. Church is within." And 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 the little bit we talked about the Bible, he just keeps pointing to that it's like all about the mind. Everything is mind. And it's just, it's all a big metaphor for your mind and your mind state and what you do with your mind and and the types of thoughts you think. And there's stories about jealous thoughts and stories about vengeful thoughts and stories about, but it's all about the mind. Or you can choose to, to interpret it that way. Then it becomes a really useful book and a useful tool. But it was told in a language that the people of the time could understand because if you sat down with the people in the years, you know, 4,000 years ago, Maybe they weren't ready to hear it spoken about as the mind, the way you think. Whatever their collective conscious state was, they had to hear it in ways that they understood, which is pestilence and your crops and your, and 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 what are those grasshoppers that eat everything? Uh, the locusts. Locusts. You know all of that because they were aggro. That's what they did. They grew stuff. So they had to. It had to be taught in a very literal way, mm-hmm. with the idea that it would sink in. Maybe you know this is just. And then the New Testament was like designed for the state of consciousness of that time. And at least Ernest, my teacher would say, there's a lot of stuff in there that was put in by humans with the idea to manipulate people and control them. So it's not all useful, but overall the broad story, and there's a lot of useful stuff in it, if you interpret it as a metaphor for your mind and how you use it. But then if it's read like that, <clears throat> for the mind that puts the power back in the people. So this is where like, yeah, it's so fast. Wow, just like reflecting on my childhood religious career because we we were taught as you know uh what's a prophet's name like saul who was peter or i think i don't know i can't remember i've deleted a lot of this information (laughs) but it's in there somewhere but one of these prophets you know he sinned and because of his sins this is what he did he uh looked at or let's uh, david and bathsheba that's a great story so David and Bathsheba, David saw Bathsheba taking a bath on a couple houses over and he fell in love with her and killed her husband. And they were like, okay, well, don't kill. That's one. And don't fall, don't have lust for another woman. Don't ever feel any kind of emotions for another woman because that's a sin. Right? That's the literal story. Yeah. So then it starts to create, goes back to the thing of you're guilty. How dare you have an emotion such as being attracted to somebody else? Yes, but if you take it as a mind, in your life, have you ever experienced um, being in a relationship and being attracted to someone else? Absolutely. And how does that feel? I mean, it feels weird, but it also, like, I don't know. Because, I mean, in my past, like, to me, it was torturous. Right. And You feel bad. And what you don't know, especially when you're young, is that, yeah, you can leave your current relationship and go chase that other one, but you'll just come back to yourself in the end and you'll do the same thing over and over again because there's no perfect partner. It's impossible, I, I think. Well, the perfect partner is the one when you realize that it's all up to you. It's all inside, right? And then you find someone who um, who helps you grow. That's the perfect partner. But usually these lustful situations, it's not that at all. It's all imagination. Right. And so that story is like, Jealousy and envy, you know, there's Bible stories about that. Th- those aren't, you, those those thoughts are hell. It sucks to be jealous and envious. And people sit their whole life in it. Jealous and envious of the other, of the neighbor. And, and uh, 
I, if I were to read those stories, I would take them as that. It's like, it's trying to teach you that these mind states that you can choose, well, in the moment they might seem so real and so necessary and so true that the other guy has it better than me and blah, blah, blah. But they're not, they're, they're, they're hell. That's a hellish state to be in. And we can choose not to be in them by being grateful for what we have and like by, by, by focusing on our own experience and what we can bring into it, you know, to make our experience more fruitful and better. Because if we spend our time jealous, we're not doing anything for our own state. Well, it's less, it's, it's giving it's our energy less, away. right? Yeah. I have less. I have less and I'm giving it away to that, to that feeling, that emotion. So. Whoa. Yeah, and maybe in those times too, it's like there was a, a lot of murder and fight, so people needed to read that God said don't murder, you know? <laughs> like they needed like a real dramatic thing because now in our current consciousness, it's it's a given for most of us that murder is bad. Like we don't have it in us to do that, you know, unless, you know, some people, unless they take antidepressants and then they... Or they're sociopaths. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, so... These are mind grenades, man. Yeah, man. I want to read the Bible. <laughs> I just the language is so hard. It the, is. The it's King very James, it's so old. <laughs> we need a new modern version. They do have a modern version. Yeah, but a new a modern modern version. They have a modern modern version. Oh, is it good? It's like it's in like modern lingo. Cool. It's like <laughs> it's and like God so this one the God was like, dude, you gotta stop killing your brothers, man. It's not cool. <laughs> yeah. But I I mean I think what that highlights again is going back to that quote from Terrence McKenna of the code, you know, the, the code codes for space time reality or energy, yeah. you know what I mean? So if we had this code to live by the Bible, uh, this babble, this babble of code we live by, that becomes our code for reality. If we have this babble of code, even if it's new, like any kind of babble, our babble is a type of, a type of code. You know, hopefully we're encoding positive things that release locks and binds. <clears throat> but even modern spirituality codes that create a whole new code of like how you should see reality. And it's like, well, how do we get just to the pure code to figure out how to use that for the benefit of ourselves and others? Like, what is that code? I want to know that code to life. Like, how do you how do you hack reality? How do you really live a a beneficial life because i think what again going back to nature what nature shows us is that everything tries to benefit everything else without any kind of hang-ups like nature my whole garden here is constantly benefiting every other part of the garden in some way or another this whole ecosystem that's been created here is benefiting each other and they don't think oh if i drop my fruit you know now he's gonna have my fruit no, they think, well, if I drop my fruit, more plants will grow around me that I need to benefit me. Like, it's it's a constant cycle of giving and receiving. Now, how do we mimic that in society? How do we mimic that kind of coding of nature? Like, the closer we are to nature, I think the more harmonious we become. The more harmonious we become, the happier our society is because nobody's sitting in their home thinking, God, I wish... I had what Alan had, you know, he's got such a good life and a good house up there and fucking shit. I think that's why we, I, I think this whole thing is a school, this whole life. And we, everybody here on the planet chose to go through this. And I, maybe that's 
what we're pursuing ultimately is to come to that state and get to that code, you know, and that's the whole purpose. If you're on a spiritual path, like that's where you perceive everything as teaching and um, that's the point of life. Like, So we're here for all of this. We're here for all the pain and suffering that we see and experience ourselves as a teacher. And sometimes we have lifetimes where we aren't yet in a state to be able to see it that way. And so we keep repeating it over and over and over again until a little piece starts to remember, you know, oh yeah, I'm here to learn. And, and, uh, and then we're just learning. And then eventually you graduate. As soon as you realize that code that you're talking about, like you really get it, then that, you know, I think that you disappear from this plane, you're done. You, you go on to something else. You've graduated from this school that you chose. You keep choosing. Yeah. <clears throat> I was thinking about karma and the karma of individu- individuals and like the access we have to certain things. So the karma of like us being able to have access to plant medicine, that's a great karma. Like to have this opportunity to start, you know, reflecting on ourselves, that's incredible karma. <clears throat> and I don't want to create karma as like the bane of your life and you're trapped by your karma. You're not. You can always, like we keep saying, change your life at any point whatsoever. The karma to have access to astrology or numerology or, um, you know, some YouTube. YouTube. Great. Yeah. I mean, some people don't have access to any of this. Their existence is so limited. Their scope of knowledge is so limited because of the environment they're born in, because of the karma they have. They don't get the access to, you know, even the slightest steps of uh, what's next as far as like one looking in and then looking out again and then looking back in and then out. And in. <laughs> Isn't, so, but karma, I mean, the idea of karma, it's all of our karma. It's not happenstance. It's the result of choices we've made in pre- this life and previous lives. So our karma is just like the set of lessons that we have to keep repeating and learning or maybe you don't repeat them. Maybe you learn them the first time. But I used to think of like when someone said they have bad karma, like it's like they they lost the lottery. But if you zoom out in the span of multiple lifetimes, no, it's 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 the culmination of choices. If they have good karma, bad karma. And so even someone that we would consider in a really, yeah, they don't have access to any of this stuff, and they're in a very basic level life of survival, and it's a lot of it's violence and it's painful but that's the stepping stone to the next level the next karma and no level is better than the other because we're all in the same school and you could have someone with you know really rough circumstances today that could graduate from the school tomorrow because of whatever the, all the karma comes together and that's what was meant to happen right hero and the villain right the hero was probably a villain in the last life and then became a hero in the next life could you go from hero in this life to villain in the next? I'm sure. If you live such a great life that you get all the pleasures you ever have desired. And you get lost in it. And you get lost. And you forget. And you think it's you. Yeah, I see that happen a lot. Mm-hmm. People or, get or, fame and it goes to their heads. Yeah. Or they they can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And it's just... And so they numb themselves. And or they they lash out. Or they treat... Yeah, they treat people terribly. The... the, the the, the falling star <laughs> and that's that's a repeating story like <clears throat> now imagine people who have worked through incredible struggle 
and then realized again that their struggle was the medicine, but also went back to start helping people through the struggle again. That's like, that's the medicine that reproduces itself, that continually builds that cycle. It's the fruit that falls from the tree that grows another apple orchard or whatever, you know, like, so how do we continually mimic nature and benefiting all things as we grow? And I think that's why you and I continue to work in medicine. Do you think there are elements of nature that we that aren't to be mimicked? Are there plants that are destructive? But that's like micro macro. I'm I'm <clears throat> I would more reflect the macro scale of natural cycles. Yeah. But even bad plants. Like quote if unquote. you get well, quote unquote like venomous plants or toxic plants, venomous, poisonous plants. Right next to them is usually grown, always grows, the antidote. Huh. Always. If you ever get stung by stinging nettle, the next plant over will be the cure for stinging nettle. Right. So nature is constantly showing you that even the poison and the therapy are right next to each other. The venom from a snake is cured by the the blood of a, a non-venomous snake. Right. Nature puts the cure and the poison right next to each other. Right. So how can we say anything is negative in nature? And when we try to stop that natural cycle is when something negative and comes from it. And even medicines in nature, if taken the wrong way or in the wrong quantity, become venoms. They kill you. They kill you. Yeah. Tobacco, for example. like they, It's a medicine at a certain dose, but it's deadly at another dose. Or toe, you know, <laughs> in a very careful way, it can be used as a medicine. But if you don't know what you're doing, it's a venom for your mind and body. <laughs> exactly. But I think that's where nature is naturally teaching us, like, not taking too much, like mm. being humble in that, or learning, or, you know, actually observing nature, or spending time with these cycles to understand yourself. What is it? Spiritual, or, spirit is invisible nature, and nature is visible spirit. Say it again. Spirit is invisible nature. Nature is visible spirit. Mm -hmm. As we look around at the plants. What's up, spirit? And all the plants have such beautiful symbolism, too, like the rose. So beautiful, smells so good, and it has these thorns. To protect it, it has boundaries of, like, enjoy me, but don't just come and abuse me. Or even Toei, like you talked about. Yeah. In small doses can bring you extreme clarity, unseeing light, the world around like you. Pure light, yeah. But on a larger dose, you've lo you've lost touch with reality. Iboga is an interesting one. Uh, the the guy I worked with in Gabon, in my initiation, he said that I was like, so can you, what you know? What if someone has you know committed some terrible crime in their life, like murder? You know can you give them Iboga to like heal that in them? He's like, well, most people, they'd probably die. Iboga, the way Iboga just like the mirror that it is and the way it just shows you what you've done and who you are, you have to go through that. It's, and if someone's done something atrocious that they haven't, haven't looked at, they've been in denial or they haven't looked at or honestly, uh, like the force of seeing that for what it is, he says that they, they can die. You know, just from that. I believe it. Yeah. So it's, 
and he said that I think he said this or sometimes I don't remember if something I thought or that was said but like traditionally they would do that if someone killed someone or did something awful they would give me boga to bring balance back you know make him face it and he'd probably die um but as a like an instant you know i think in the in the karmic view it's almost like doing him a favor it's like you're gonna it's gonna suck but you're gonna process it and then next life you won't have to carry that baggage wow, that's super wise wow um, so how do we mimic nature <laughs> observe <laughs> consume or drink the plants drink them in a responsible ethical and skillful way with respect it's like when they you know, I'm sure you do this too when you cultivate a plant for medicine when it's done right there's so much prayer and intention involved you know and respect and offerings and uh, rather than you don't just go and take it because that energy of just going and taking it if you consume it, then you're consuming that same energy. So, but if you go with it with respect and prayer and humility and asking, then that's the energy you'll consume. I think this is why I never really fear super tyrannical evil happenings in the world because they're going against nature. And again, going back to like <clears throat> what happens in nature when something's out of balance. Well, it immediately finds a way to re- bring it back into balance. Ecosystems, whatever it is. So if somebody's super tyrannical and evil, what usually happens is revolution. Nature brings it back into balance. Right. <laughs> or, you know, it could be short-term um, near planetary destruction, but then there's a rebirth, you know, and it's like it sucks for those who are destroyed, but they are reborn as well. So, uh, but yeah, I mean... If even if you look at the biggest greatest villains in recent history, like Hitler and uh, you know, people like that, like the outcome for them was not, you know, it was miserable, and they were miserable inside the whole time, you know. So it's not like they were just happy and living a great life, destroying everybody, uh, and then they died peacefully, you know. <laughs> so we had a great life. No, you didn't. No, you're going counter to something, and that I mean, he died in like a bunker shooting himself i mean or something like that something horrible yeah Yeah, because that's (laughs) that's generally what i mean the to commit that much atrocity and carry that around i mean it's just you're gonna it's gonna come back to bite you inevitably that's nature yeah this is kind of a question i brought to the dieters in our last group i said and i asked them on the second ceremony we had four ceremonies so the I asked them the question on the second ceremony and then asked them to answer it on the fourth ceremony, which was another week down the road. And I said, uh, why do we heal? And I don't want an answer. Like, I, I want that to be a question that we should constantly be asking ourselves is like, why? Why are we healing? Or what? why do we heal? Because there's something potent in that. And this is something that the plants brought to the surface for me. It was like, why am I doing this? Hmm. Why do I do this for myself and why do I do this for others? Why? Like, what does this bring about? Because it's not easy. It's not. It's very hard. Do you have an answer to that question? I have ideas. But as far as, like, you know, they reflect sharing joy and peace with people. But that's still an idea of 
giving something that should already be there? It's it's hard. Yeah. I can. It's a hard question. I, I don't. Yeah, because when I reflect on that, I don't really have an answer other than it feels like the most true thing I can do, like the most. It's like when I intentionally engage with plant medicine, even when it's hard, really hard, it feels like that's the only that's the only thing that's like deeply in mind and aligned and like true. It's like on like the deepest level. It brings a feeling, which is what yeah. is all I can a come feeling, to. A feeling of like, oh yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, and saying that doesn't even do it justice. It's just like a, the, a feeling of true, like the truth, true, true. The true, true. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, as the sun starts to set, I think we, as the cycle of nature brings us back to another, towards another dark night, <laughs> I think a good time to wrap it up. What do you think? I agree. What a bunch of mind grenades. We have a full moon coming tomorrow. Woo! Super moon. Super moon. Here we go. My daughter, who's one, she, the full moons really affect her sleep. Like, as it gets fuller and fuller, she gets like more and more restless at night. (laughs) Oh, man. The full moon affects everything. It affects me too, man. Yeah. For the past 10 years, like, full moon, I'm not sleeping very well. So, yeah, but it's cool. It's beautiful. Police departments know that during full moons they have the most crimes. Yeah. It's crazy. Full moons and hot weather. Yeah. Yeah. Follow your full moon instincts. Yeah. Turn ooh, into a werewolf. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well, Cristo. <laughs> See you soon, Cristo. <laughs> See you soon, Cristo. He's in a permanent state of he is coming. <laughs> Cristo viene. Permanently coming. <laughs> That's a symbol of the mind state. Exactly. Like if you make a p- kind of permanent sign, even though it's not permanent, but a really a sign that can last lifetimes up there. It's, I think it looks made out of plastic. I don't know what they put in there. It used to be paint. They would paint the rocks there and it would fade. But now it's it looks like almost like plastic tarp or something. Like big PPC. Pipe. But that's the mind state of like Christ is always coming. He's not here. Like the Savior, the salvation, the 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 truth, the light, it's its just, it's always beyond reach. It's over the next mountain. Yeah. <laughs> and when you get there, there's another Cristo Viene sign. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, thanks, Felix. Thanks, that was Al. Fun. I love you, man. Love you too, man. We love you guys. We love you, guys and girls. Guys and gals. Ladies and gents. <laughs> and hence. And hence. And we'll see you uh, next time, yeah. Any, anything you want to share? Anything else? Well, I think it's a beautiful place to All right. wrap, wrap it up. See you next time, everybody. On Beyond Words. With Felix and Al.